This week, we talk about whether or not building a personal audience is an effective way to attract customers. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Less Annoying CRM hit a little bit of a milestone the other day. I don't know if you saw. I know you did. Uh, We are at $3 million in annual recurring revenue now. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I feel like I feel like this milestone did more for your Twitter account than any other milestone you've ever had. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, so yeah, I tweeted just that. I said we hit a milestone, three million ARR, and I shared a little image of our of the dashboard to like prove it. Uh and yeah, it got over a thousand likes and Twitter says two hundred thousand impressions. Like I've never had a tweet get anywhere near this reach, and it's such a boring tweet. <laughs> Well, what? How many more followers did you get? I feel like you grew your follower count by a hundred percent or something like that. Yeah, not quite a hundred, but I think I went from uh, nine hundred to like sixteen fifty or something like that. That's wild. Yeah, um, so. I feel like, and I feel like there might be more start to last listeners as a result of that tweet because I feel like ten percent of the people who followed you also followed start to last. That's awesome. <laughs> Now it's possible these will not be these may be people who like listen to a couple episodes or follow, like see what I actually tweet about because it's not like I'm tweeting startup porn all the time um, and then they leave. I don't know. But this confirms sort of what uh, Cortland from Indie Hackers has told us before, which is there's one or two orders of magnitude larger audience. Well, you can break startup content down into like inspiration versus operation, maybe like. Inspiration being, you can do it. It's hard work. You just got to put in the effort. And then the operation stuff, like when you need to hire your first employee, here are the job boards to use or, you know, whatever. And Cortland always tells us, like, there's so many more people interested in the inspirational side because we do almost none of that. (laughs) Yeah, we're very uh, uninspirational (laughs) or (laughs) (laughs) non-inspirational. Right. And I don't see that changing. But just to test that theory out. uh, So after I got all those followers, I was like, maybe I should be a little more strategic with my first couple tweets after that. And so my next one was just more startup porn just to see what happened. And it was like, you know, the the one of the most magical moments of my life was the first day I woke up after going full time on listening CRM and thinking I may never work for someone else again. And again, it, it didn't go as crazy, but like way more engagement than a normal tweet does. So I think it works. I'm not really going to keep doing that. But I was going to ask: Is this is this the the new Twitter strategy moving forward for you? I th- no, absolutely. But th- that's because I don't sell to any of these people. Like if I th- this could be a, a valuable marketing tactic. I think if if you had something to sell to the startup porn people. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, the the milestone's huge. Did you guys do anything fun to celebrate uh, as a company? Uh, no, uh, we're going to do a, so we normally do a Friday happy hour and the one tomorrow is going to be a little, like, we're going to do a little toast to this, but I kind of regret, I didn't, I just didn't think about this far enough in advance. It snuck up on me partially during the pandemic. It's hard to do stuff partially historically. The milestones we've always celebrated as a company have not been revenue. It's been user count. And so normally we would wait for 25,000 users, which were less than a year away from, but I do think revenue resonates with people better. Like maybe we should have been doing that this whole time. (laughs) This is another byproduct of the user price change where it's like celebrating milestones gets harder. Yeah, because it used to be you could map users to to revenue pretty easily. Um, Mm -hmm. Although another mistake we made with celebrations, we used to do it every time we doubled. 
So like, I think probably a hundred users was the first big kind of, I mean, it wasn't a big party because we were a tiny company at the time, but maybe like a hundred and then 200 and then 500, kind of that pattern, thousand, uh, 5,000, thousand, 2,000, 5,000, so on. And then it got harder and harder because you stop doubling all the time as you get bigger. So I do think we need to reset our celebration pattern either way because it's like we can't wait five years between celebrations next time, you know? <laughs> exactly. That's a good point. The it, it made me reflect, though, when I read your tweet because I don't even think I even paused to reflect on when people keep hit it or Zane Benefits hit $3 million. I don't think I even like that was such I was I was so used to that not being good enough and yeah. that, you know, because it was a VC backed company uh, that $3 million was, was like not a big deal. But in, in hindsight, I look back and I go, go, man, we should have been celebrating that because that was mm-hmm. a big deal. And you made that. Very, I, 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 fe- I know how hard it is to get to that number that you're getting to right now. Um, and I think it, it kind of made me go for a second. Wow, that's a big deal. And it also made me go, wow, it was a big deal that people keep hit it, too. Yeah. W- wish yeah, we had celebrated. When you say that, like, of course you did, because you were quite a bit bigger than we are. But like, yeah, I, I never heard that from you. <laughs> I don't think we celebrated. A, I, I just it always felt like we were failing, like, honestly, constant it, failure. It's funny you say that because I someone reached out to me that I think is like when I hit that milestone, someone reached out and was like, we're publishing milestones. Can I just like ask you a few questions and then we'll publish yours? Um, and the question was like, if you if you could look back to when you started, like, how would you feel about hitting this milestone? My answer was, in the very, very early days, I'd be blown away. I'd be like, $3 million, that's a crazy amount of money. Two years into the company, I would have been hugely disappointed. I would have been like, I thought we were on a trajectory to become you know, a unicorn or something like that. And the fact that it took 11 years to hit $3 million, at the time, I would have been really bummed by it. And then now I'm back the other direction where I'm like, that's awesome. Like, Life's good. <laughs> it, it just shows you how important uh, perspective is to happiness. It's like, yeah. if you... If you change what you think is important today, you can start celebrating something right away. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but yeah, so that's a big start to last again for the win, because, uh, you can actually celebrate things that are a big deal, uh, just, you know, um, when, when they happen. So yeah, for sure. Cool. Uh, What's up with you? Uh, sticking on the dollar front. Um, I have another three, uh, to throw out. It's $300. Right. <laughs> uh, Lego Pellet just sent $300 out in referral rewards. Um, we launched a referral program and I hadn't, uh, mo- when I launched the referral program, most of the referrals that came in were for January 1st uh, effective dates. So I really didn't need to go through and, and, and see, okay, who referred who I need to send out the rewards uh, for context, the reward program is a give 10 get 10 amazon gift card so and if you if you referred someone to leg up health who created an account uh and added their policy regardless of whether they became a client or not then you know that that reward was triggered anyway i had i went through and did that this this month and i want to you know i i made a decision an executive decision to uh, basically make the program retroactive all the way to the beginning of the company. So mm-hmm. basically, any, even if you referred someone in the early days and you know, before their program was in existent, existence, we, get, we I basically credited you that. So it was cool. Half of our clients came from referrals uh, wow. in 2020. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, which is actually a much larger number than I thought that was going to happen. Um, I guess it was a little bit less than half, but um, 
almost. Do you half. feel like? Do you feel like you worked so? There's for most businesses, there's a difference between you know those first few customers that you kind of get through not normally non-scalable, non-repeatable channels versus who you get later. Did you get a disproportionate amount of referrals from like people you already know or people where you really like put in an extra effort? Or do you think this ratio of customers to referrals might hold true in the future? I think that because I didn't do any, because growth wasn't a huge factor for me and I wasn't really marketing, it's hard to say, it's hard to answer that question. It could go up or down. It could go up or down. I, I don't, yeah. I guess the answer is I don't know, but I do think this is a high, I do think this has legs. And um, so for example, one person that I met in December submitted four referrals um, in December and that was kind of a special relationship. Um, but but uh, it was really cool to send out that money and just say thank you. And that actually led me down a rabbit hole two rabbit holes that I want to talk about real quick. One is uh, in order to trigger or go through and find out who was owed a referral credit or a gift card. uh, I had to, you know, actually go through all of the sales or the clients and, you know, where did they come Mm -hmm. from? And so I actually made it a, a larger buyer journey exercise. Have you ever done one of these where you go through for a period of time, all of the people who signed up, and you analyze sort of where they came from all the way back from the beginning and how they interacted with you to see what criteria they have. And then once you gather data on each of them, you sort of map them into different groups of people. I've never done it with real data. I've done like a hypothetical one. Actually, you, you, I don't know if you remember, you came to San Francisco when I lived there and kind of walked me through one of these with like, how should we do marketing? Let's map out what we think the buyer journey is. I've never done it with real data. No. Oh, cool. Um, well, I just did that with Leg of Health and it's, we have 40 ish clients. So I went through all of them. Um, and yeah, 15 of them were referral program were referrals. Um, but, uh, it was really enlightening. So I just want to just call out that if you're stuck, you're not sure what to do next. You, you, you're trying to figure out, you've got something that's working, but you want to figure out how to, where to focus from a marketing standpoint. One really good exercise is just to go trace back each one of your clients from you know, one, where did they hear about you from? Um, did they get referred? Did you go out and, and outreach out to them? Did they stumble across you on SEO or did they respond to an ad? And then ask another question, which is what triggered them to go out and find you? Um, so for example, what tri- what was the reason that when, when someone referred that person to Leg Up Health, what was the reason that they actually said, I am interested in that referral or that triggered someone saying, Hey, you should check out Leg Up Health. What was it in their life? When are you asking these questions? Because, like, my pro, I know, like, a lot of sources can be tracked. Like, I know if they clicked an ad or something like that. But when would you recommend if I wanted to do this? When do I ask them? Hey, what led to that event in your life? So it's it's that's a great question. I I think one thing I take for granted is that when I talk to my clients, this is something that I just naturally ask them in real time, yeah. and, I rec- and I record it or remember it. Um, so when I'm doing the analysis later, I have it, and if I don't have it just send someone an email and say, Hey, quick question. We're doing some market research. Um, do you remember what led to the discussion, um, at with so-and-so that, you know, led to them referring? Can you, can you remind Mm -hmm. me what triggered that? Just ask them in real time. Um, I do it as I, it's kind of part of my CRM data, uh, recording process is where, how did you hear about us? And then asking why around that. So, So you're talking to every single person who's signing up right now? Uh, I have talked to every single client, at least via email. Okay. Gotcha. Okay, cool. 
I'll, yeah, I'll have to, we obviously, we, there are some customers we talk to a lot, but some that we never talk to. My concern for myself is I don't want to get biased results where it's like, if they're talking to us, we get this information, which, I mean, there, there's probably something to learn there, but is it different information from all the people who aren't talking to us would be something I'd wonder about. Yeah, and I would say that you're at a stage where you'd probably do this pretty selectively and you'd 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 want to be pretty methodical about how you structured the survey. Like this is more of a a survey. But if you're early on and you have 100 clients, just they want to hear from you, call them and talk to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um but but anyway, you, you know, the trigger it was really interesting. I'm actually going to pull it up real quick just to give um give some insights into some of the uh, data you can extract from this exercise. One is that there were basically three pockets of customer sources. One was referrals. Another was um, my personal network outreach, um, which was the other big bulk. And the uh, second and the third was uh, the third was word of mouth. So people who either heard about people from my network or just discovered us online. And then the other big pocket was lug benefits. So people who were employees at companies who signed up for our employer product. That's it. Are you taking this the next? How did the leg up benefits people hear about you? Those were mostly personal. The leg up benefits employers heard about us through personal network outreach. Okay. But their employees, you know, I didn't know them before the employer introduced leg up help through leg up benefits. Yeah. So those are like sources. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to jump in and give a suggestion, but it sounds like you got more before. Yeah. And then, so one, the, the, the more interesting question um, is, th- there are two questions that I find more interesting. One is, what was the triggering event that mm-hmm. led to, that, that started their buyer journey? In other words, what led this person on a buyer journey that ultimately, you know, resulted in them getting referred to us, you know, searching Google and finding us or being open to some outreach? Um, oftentimes the, the, when you're doing outreach, the triggering event is the outreach itself. And that was true in a lot of cases for me, especially for people when I was reaching out to them who didn't really have pain necessarily, but Mm -hmm. they had it, they, they already had a health insurance policy. And I was like, Hey, you know, you don't have pain right now, but you will in the future. Go ahead and make me the agent now so that I can save you pain in the future. That's a harder sell, but you know, in that case, there was uh, many of those. Um, mm-hmm. Another example, a big bucket of people who had the triggering event that led to either referrals or um, people, non-outreach based leads was Cobra. People who had left a job, gone on Cobra, but then the Cobra was actually expiring. So it had been 18 months since they worked for the company that they had their health insurance through and mm. their Cobra expiration date was coming up. And they waited to the last minute and it was usually mid-year and they started they're perfectly out. happy with Cobra. They're they're not because I think what I would do is I'd be like the second I get on Cobra, now I need to start finding the next thing. You're saying these people are just like this is my insurance for eighteen well, months. There, there's two events there. One is um, the 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 moment that you l- terminate from your current employer and they send you that Cobra notice and they're saying, hey, would you like Cobra? If mm-hmm. you're if you most people probably are like, and I need to confirm this. Hey, uh, you know, I'll just take the Cobra. And they, but that expires in eighteen months, and they get another notice that says your Cobra is expiring. Good luck. And yeah. that that was the main trigger was the Cobra expiration. I did have a couple who were aware enough to say, "Oh, I lost my job, or I'm switching jobs, and I'm losing my health insurance. I'm I'm not going to elect Cobra. I'm going to use this opportunity to actually go buy a, a new a new individual policy." 
sure. which you, which is actually the better decision in most cases. Yeah, but I, th- I think people ha- still have this bias in their head that they think group insurance is better than individual. So for as long as they can be on it, that's my guess as to why they wait so long. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Um, the, uh, the other big trigger, I mean, you could probably guess this was open enrollment. The fact that open enrollment was happening caused people mm-hmm. to go, oh, it's open enrollment. I can buy health insurance now and I couldn't before, or, uh, I can look at different health insurance if I want to. Um, right. So, that, so they were already probably on an individual plan and they just kind of know this is the time of year I, I take a look at this. Yep. So those are triggering events. Um, oftentimes when you look at triggering events, it's helpful to, to think about what situation led to that triggering event. Um, so that's the next question. Some of the situations were people that were uninsured who were waiting to open enrollment to trigger their buying journey. Mm-hmm. Other people were ACA on marketplace uh, people, meaning they, they already had an individual policy. They were buying it through the marketplace and that was their situation. And they were basically waiting for open enrollment to happen, to renew the plan or think about the plan. No triggering events going to happen unless I outreach to them in most yeah. case, cases. So that's going to require leg up to be the triggering event, um, which was actually pretty enlightening because I think that's probably our biggest opportunity of these people who are sitting there all year with an agent or without an agent his, who isn't doing anything for them on a monthly basis that could take two minutes, make leg up, help the agent if they knew about us and start getting value right away. Right. That's, that's the biggest opportunity that you control. And then referrals might arguably could be a bigger opportunity, but you have a little less control. I mean, you can do certain things to juice referrals, but like you can't go out there and say, we're going to, we're going to put in the hours and double our referrals this month. Yeah. Bigger opportunity. Let's be clear about that. Bigger opportunity in terms of size. Um, there are more people out there with that that already have individual policies than are buying individual po- new people that are buying individual policies. Mm, so, okay. so it's a bigger market opportunity. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a better, more immediate opportunity. In fact, the people who have these triggering events mid year, like Cobra expiring, switching jobs, um, getting married, these types of things, uh, they, those are the ones that are being positioned for are actually much what I would call lower hanging fruit. Yeah. Cool. That's very interesting. Um, can I just say what stands out to me? Like if I were in your shoes, the question that I would really want to answer next, or maybe not next, but a big question to answer Mm -hmm. is like, what are these referral patterns for people over time? Um, you know, you can think of it like the spread of the virus and we're all talking about like, what's the R number? Like, is it greater or less than one? Uh, does one person, how many people does one person refer and does that like stay constant over time or is it like they're going to refer all the people they know their first open enrollment period and then it's going to stop? And the reason I'd be so curious about that is if you've got good kind of virality numbers, which it sounds like you might, that could really change how you how you think about marketing because it's not like the money I invest in a customer acquisition has to be profitable by itself. It's like you're just planting little seeds and then it's going to bloom into a whole network of people, which allows you to just take a much more expensive approach to getting those initial customers. It's much more of a just boil the ocean and boil the pond, I should say. It's mm-hmm. it's it's picking it's picking a geographical area or an industrial segment and saying, I'm just going to spend money, some amount of money here, driving awareness. And I know that as awareness increases, my sales are going to increase and it'll, it'll pay back. Yeah. Yeah, our the amount we're willing to pay to acquire a customer sometimes shocks people because it's like the math. It's not necessarily unprofitable. It takes like a year and a half for us to make our money back. And, and you're not supposed to do that. But we know that 
we we've done this for years and event and you know eventually if you have that positive i think our referrals are a lot lower than yours will be probably but even with our low number eventually it pays off yeah as like your brand starts to grow and stuff like that so that would be i've sort of accepted in this business that it's going to be really hard to track customer acquisition costs on a unit base like yeah to have really scalable unit costs it's going to be a very much a word of mouth driven business and um I think my buyer journey analysis confirms that. Gotcha. So far. But you did say you had those people that you reached out to and you were the reason, like they already had insurance and you were the reason they switched. That might be trackable. Or, yeah. I don't, I don't have that for people that I don't have a relationship with. So mm. I, I think if my personal network was unlimited, I would feel better about that. But reaching out cold to someone who has a policy and reaching out to a friend or an acquaintance that has some rapport... No, it's not the same thing. Gotcha. I wonder if there's a hybrid of these two where it's get a customer and and maybe it sounds like you're already doing this, but be like, you know, do you know anyone who's already using individual insurance? Can you put us in touch? Totally. Yeah. And so I think I think there's sort of a few takeaways from this. One is uh, it's very easy to see where to focus. One, set up more referral relationships that are non-clients. Two, make clients more aware of the referral program. Three, uh, uh, reach out to people in my network, continue to reach out to people in my network for, you know, try to find more, try to find and identify more people who have individual health insurance already and figure out how to get, build relationships with them. Yeah. Those are, cool. that's my marketing plan, I guess, you know, based on my buyer journey analysis. Great. Um, the other thing that this caused me to reflect on shifting subjects for a second was customer appreciation. If you, I guess the larger point here is that when caring about your customers is a huge uh, just advantage when you actually do care because it comes across, you do things to show that appreciation and that adds up and multiplies over time. So one way to show that appreciation that came out was making the the referral program retroactive. And sure, yeah, that's self-serving to a degree because in a way I'm using it to make people aware there's a referral program and maybe that'll right. trigger trigger, you know, them to send more referrals. But it's also something that's like, I do I I could double the cost of this referral program to give $150 to clients right now. I feel good. I feel pretty good about that. You know, mm-hmm. thank you. Uh and I, you know, I, the way I did it was I sent an Amazon, I used Amazon, logged into the business account and triggered uh, a personalized message to each of these people and I actually recorded a, an asynchronous loom video that was 20 seconds that said, you know, Hey, thank you. Um, thank you for submitting this referral here. Please enjoy this gift card. Um, so it was pretty, you know, personable experience. I've gotten thank yous from just about everyone who, who received one. Um, but then I w- took it a step further and I, I realized you, I don't know how often you do this, but how often do you go? I really need to sit down and, and write some thank yous to people I, I yeah, really, enough. <laughs> I really care. I really care about these people, and I want them to know that I care about them. I'm, I want them to them know how grateful I am. How many times do you think about that, and you go, "I'm going to do this," but then a year goes by and you never did it? Right. I actually sat down this week and and spent. I wrote about eighty thank yous um, this week, personalized thank yous to people, and there were two things I wanted to say about it. One, it felt great to do it and actually do it, and it was very. In a, that was like sort of the selfish like good feeling. Mm-hmm. But the second thing is when you write a thank you note, it forces you to reflect. And I actually realized things that happened throughout 2020 when writing those thank you notes to customers and to partners and other people that helped me in 2020 that led to 
me being more confident in what we are prioritizing in the short term. So there's, there's a power in being grateful to people who are helping you that not, not only is just an advantage from a marketing standpoint, it actually does lead to this deeper reflection that, um, that, that helps you, uh, be more realistic about the future. Yeah. And I, so I'm, I was, anyway, that, that's my sort of soap op, my, my soapbox about gratitude and, and some of the exercises I went through this week. So that's awesome. I, I think it's a great reminder. If I can like, maybe it's best to live in the moment and just appreciate that. But where my mind immediately went is what about when you have 10 times as many, like, I assume most of these 80 people were customers or something like that. They were, uh, 40 of them were clients. Um, some of them were friends who introduced me to my initial customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it, they, they were people who in the first year of business did something that was out of the ordinary, something that had a magnitude of effect. The first yeah. 40 clients at a company has a, you know, oh, has, huge. your first 40 users are, are like in terms of impact on you and the company are completely different than your last 40. Of, yes, a hundred percent. So, what I was going to ask is, do you do you want to continue this? So, imagine a future where you've got an employee or probably multiple employees who are working with clients and stuff like that. Do you think you tell them to send these thank you notes, or is this just like you're still small, you're doing these one off things that don't scale, and you're doing this? I think gratitude at so, uh, of some level to our, for our clients needs to be built into our service model because they don't need to pick us and we need to, th- we need to thank them for that. But the level of, of, of energy and time and thought that I put into expressing my gratitude this at this moment is not scalable. Number one. Um, and number two, it's, it, 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 la- it, it, it will lose sincerity at, um, yeah, at scale. And, uh, because the, I mean, the people who helped me in the past in 2020, you know, you included, I mean, it, the opportunity for people like that—that is not something that's going to happen again in 2021. It's impossible for it to happen again. Gotcha. Yeah, this mirrors a little bit my experiences in the early days of Lessening CRM. After I realized customer service is like a really easy way to differentiate yourself, I would manually email everyone when they signed up. Like I didn't have a drip automation thing. I was like, I'm going into my Gmail account, I'm typing your name in, and I'm sending you an email, and then. Eventually, it just got big enough that I was like, you know, I, I, I can't do this. I have to automate it. At which point, is it worth pretending it's personal? Like, basically, it's just a similar thing where it's like, there are these things in the very, very early days where you can say, we're trying to form a, a bigger connection, and I just don't think it can scale. No, totally. And I want to differentiate between expressing gratitude because you want to, and then trying to build a you know, a yeah. service. Um, this, this, this had elements of both, but, um, I would say 90% of what I, the energy I put into this was, I am really actually thankful for getting to where we are at leg up health. I wanted to tell people that 10% is, Oh, this is something we should do all the time. Um, yeah. on that gotcha. 10% though, like, um, how do you scale it? Well, it's, it's really a cultural, like it's, it comes back to like, who are you? What matters? What do you stand for at the company, and how do you, you know, how are you going to prioritize that on a day to day basis? And it's not, it's not like schedule. It's not like it's not a feature, right? It's, a, it's much more of a value. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. I, uh, I've, I've never really done what you did, but uh, I admire it. <laughs> I think you've probably done it in a different way. Probably in a different way. You're right. Yeah. 
Um, so it, how many like podcasts have you been on? Or, like, been, have you, have you ever viewed like going on other people's podcasts, getting interviewed or anything like that as uh, a thing you like to spend time on? I think there are two reasons to go on a podcast. One is, um, for your, to, to, to promote yourself or <laughs> mm-hmm. what you're working on or to help someone else out. Um, I think I would go on unlimited podcasts to help other people if I had unlimited time, but, um, I don't. And so like in the, in the near, not so distant past, there was a time where I was like, Hey, if you want me on your podcast, I'm just an automatic yes. Yeah. Because I want to help people and I don't really, I don't have any opportunity cost my time. I would say today, right now I'm limited on time. And so it's, it's a much different thing. It's, it needs to be pre- for me to go on a podcast as a guest right now, it has to be pretty mutually beneficial. What about you? Yeah. Have you, um, I'm still probably in that almost automatic. Yes. But mostly just cause it doesn't happen that often. This is one of these things where it's like, I, you don't need to protect your time if no one's actually fighting for it. But um, just, you know, sometimes when it rains, it pours. I just coincidentally have gotten a, like a lot of these uh, kind of all, I shouldn't say a lot, like four or something like that all going on at the same time right now. I think that's a lot. I mean, preparing, do, preparing for a podcast and doing it right takes significant amount of preparation energy. When you're doing a podcast, I don't know how you feel after these episodes, but it's not like a very intense one hour conversation is mm-hmm. it, it's draining. It's, draining. it's yeah. not like four is a lot to me. I don't, that's a, it's not like four in one day. It's like yeah. over the, so yesterday I was on uh run with it who are there in the indie hacker, indie, indie hacker podcast network with us. I think it's coming out tomorrow uh, on, on the 22nd. That one was fun. Cause like the premise of their show is we don't talk about me and my company. We talk about a different idea I have. So I brought like a totally different business idea and the idea is that their audience can run with it. Um, so that was one. And then they put me in touch with someone else who's actually, <laughs> this other one is the first time I've been like, maybe this audience is actually full of my customers. It's like a small business podcast. So I'm exci- I've got that in a couple of weeks. I uh, applied to be on the Mixergy podcast. For, are you familiar with Mixergy? I don't know Mixergy, no. They're like a pretty big, uh, just kind of interviewing founders type of thing. But they were around back when Lesson One got started, and I used to really get a lot of inspiration from them. So really big audience there, and they haven't 100% guaranteed me, but I think I'm in, hopefully. Well, there's a difference between, I would say, going out and saying, I'd like to be on podcasts, on your podcast, and having people... Hey Tyler, you know, would you like? Would you be willing to be on my podcast? Yeah, what, sure. What's, th- those are two. Like, I think trying to say yes to as many of the inbounds as possible is like a good thing to do generally. Um, yeah, just b- for the community and for uh, you know just being a good person. Uh, reaching out to people is interesting. Like, what what's driving that for you? Um, the, the the only real one I reached out to to initiate was the Mixergy one. Um, it's a big audience and I, I've always admired Andrew Warner is the person who does the interviews. I've always admired him and I think he's a really good interviewer. So I just, part of it's like, why do, why do we do this podcast? And if we're being honest, a little bit of it, I think is vanity. Like, Oh yeah. It's just fun to feel like people care about what you're saying. And like being on Mixergy would just kind of be like a cool accomplishment for me, I think. Got it. So, and what, what, when did you decide to do that and how did, how did you justify it in your head when you did it? I'd, it'd been, been in the back of my mind anyway. Also, sorry, let, I don't want to act like that's the only reason. Also, I don't think, I think it's very hard to go on a podcast and directly say, okay, I got customers out of that. But if you think that 
you need multiple touch points before someone really signs up for your product. I do think going in front of 10,000, I don't know how big these audiences are, but probably in the tens of thousands of people and having them hear less annoying CRM's name in an impossible to measure way, probably, I guess it's got to help a little bit with getting customers, right? It didn't hurt. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm wondering if like that, what, that's the primary driver uh, or if it's like, what, what what's the yeah, real that, reason that, well, that's that, part of why I'm asking this is yeah. like you, neither of us know, but I'm just, it seems like maybe if it takes, let's say an hour to record a podcast and then another call it hour to prep for it or something like that, maybe it's worth just always doing it. <laughs> like no matter what the audience is, it's not a huge time commitment. You're right. It's kind of draining. Uh, I don't know. I've just, because all these opportunities have fallen in my lap. Anyway, you asked, why did I apply for that? I had it on my list for a while. You know, I, I've told you I have like this big marketing list I've been keeping, but I haven't actually started mm-hmm. doing any of them. That tweet that kind of went quasi-viral, Andrew Warner liked it. And I was like, he's probably not reviewing his own applicants. Like, And it, it did turn out the person who responded to me was not him. But I was like, if there's a slight chance that he he now knows who I am, this is the moment to apply. <laughs> so I just went and applied right then. <laughs> oh, cool. It's cool. So it's like been on your on your idea list, promotion yeah. idea list. Yeah. Right. I, I, maybe we could talk a little bit about just when does product podcast promotion make sense? Um, sort of two types of pod, podcast promotion that you could explore as a founder for your business or for your own personal endeavors. Um, one is being a guest or participating in podcasts um, uh, regularly. And then the other is paying for space, ad space on the podcast mm-hmm. itself. Have you explored both of those? Or we've um, yeah, we bought an ad on. I think we've only done it once or twice now. Uh, duct tape marketing was. I know that's the one I can definitely think of, and I feel like we did another that I can't think of. Do you know duct tape? Duct duct tape I, I, marketing. That's a book, isn't it? It's a book that now there's kind of a community around and. Because for us, we're thinking, you know, a lot of all the podcasts in my world are like for startup founders and they're not really our ideal customer. So we were like, what's a podcast that really like kind of normal everyday small businesses listen to? And we thought that would be one of them. That's great. Um, How'd it go? Did you did it work? No, uh, maybe it's not very expensive. And again, like people hear it. There's no question people hear your name. Did we get any measurable people coming to the website? And, and we did what you know what you normally do is you say go to lessonknowingserum.com slash duct tape or whatever. Um, so the reason they do that is so they can track did anyone come from this podcast and like no I don't think but that's so. Not, but that's not how it works, right? This goes back to our, to our earlier conversation around general word of mouth blanketing marketing. This is one touch one brand mention in a right. larger strategy of word of mouth marketing. I think what you hope, though, is, okay, we, I, don't, I have no, I, I do not remember what it cost, but let's say it was $2,000. You pay $2,000 and like two people sign up and you can be like, okay, that's not good enough ROI, but it's a sign that someone listened, it did resonate. And then we can like squint and be like, probably there's actually 10 times that much value in the kind of the brand awareness side of it. Mm-hmm. But if nobody signs up, I don't know, how do you... Uh, how do you even come close to evaluating like what that was worth for us? Man, it's it's so interesting. Sidebar on this is I did a lot of reach out in July for Leg Up Health, and no one, a lot of people didn't respond. But then six months later, when <laughs> mm-hmm. open enrollment comes, they're like, "Hey, uh, you emailed me. Can I sign up?" Um, I feel like that would with a podcast, people aren't search bu- in buying mode when they're listening to a podcast or 
it, it's usually like in oh, the yeah, back 100%. of hundred percent. I feel like it's a backlogged item to start with. And the question is, where are you in that backlog in their head? Um, and do you ever make it to the top? Um, it feels like that's the, what this is. And it, I don't know. It feels like you have to just be really confident that it's going to work over time in order to do it. And yeah. there isn't a whole and lot I'm of not, experimentation. <laughs> I'm not confident. Like the, the, there's the classic joke, uh, 50% of my marketing spend is wasted. But the problem is I don't know which 50%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> if you can't measure anything about it, I don't know. What are you, what are you doing? You're just throwing money at stuff and, and praying that it works. Yeah. Well, being uh, that's only on the ad side. So on the being the guest side, though, it's your own time. And what's right. kind of what's kind of cool about you you doing this and doing it a couple times to see if it works for listening CRM is that first of all, I totally support it because I think it will help with um, your personal awareness, which helps with startup to last awareness, which means mm-hmm. start, you know which which means uh, plays to my vanity metrics as well. Um, so it's you know it helps with the podcast awareness for sure. I think cross like. Going on, like, for example, if we were going to be focused on growing Startup to Last, the podcast, and this may apply if you're in a content sort of type business, promoting podcasts on other podcasts is actually a really smart thing to do. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, when I was on the Indie Hacker podcast, I think we've doubled our subscriber count um, just basically from going on the Indie Hacker podcast most recently. So that definitely works. Totally. Um, So that's what I was going to ask. I was like, are you, are you, is this a, uh, start to last growth tactic is that why you want to be on more podcasts well, and and uh, kind of yeah so that's another thing i'm trying to figure out like so this last week i've spent way more time on twitter because this this one tweet again compared to what you know lady gaga's doing this was not viral but like in my world this was viral um and as a result like a lot of people commented i got dms i spent hours on twitter trying to just like take advantage of this and we got we got an affiliate out of it um, like actual opportunities. Oh, it, le- it led to le- it, it. It trickled down to the less annoying CRM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. The the tweet that about about our revenue that's milestone. Cool. That's very cool. And and like you say, probably a lot of people didn't respond in the moment, but it's now in their head. So I'm trying to ask myself here, like, is it worth just allowing myself to be a little self indulgent here and be like, actually, like I've never thought of this podcast as being at all a part of my work at all. Uh, but maybe like a little startup to last promotion. It's, it's not, I don't want to spend all my time on it, but like, it, it's not necessarily a total waste of time. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's an equation I was looking at the other day and I was trying to figure it out. Um, power equals influence plus money. Okay. And so, uh, there, there is some value in the influence gain you get from a Twitter follower, a podcast listener, and someone, you know, people talk about building audience first, you know, mm-hmm. sort of, that's sort of a thing right now. Um, but what, it, what we're really saying is build, build your influence, um, because that influence is, is worth something. It can be converted into money. Um, or you could go invest money and make more money. Um, what you're really saying is you don't know exactly what increasing your influence is worth to less annoying right. CRM. You don't right. know what it's worth to you personally. You don't know what it's worth to start to last, but it's worth something. And you know, if I, if I, if you enjoy it too. Right. Like, and that's the thing I do right now. I think I could definitely burn out on it eventually. And I think someone like you, you've got, you are, you have a skill set that involves talking to people and that type of thing. This is one of the few mediums I've found where I am sort of quote unquote networking and forming relationships and stuff like that, where I don't feel totally out of my element. I actually like 
going on podcasts and talking to people on Twitter are two things that I feel natural doing. So the other factor uh, yeah. for you is you, you do have something that's sort of, uh, you go on, let's just say you go on mix mixergy. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, who, what's the audience roughly? Um, uh, aspiring entrepreneurs mostly. Oh, so, so it's going to check, um, your personal brand checkbox. It's going to check your, um, start to last brand checkbox. And then some percentage of those potentially could be CRM customers, depending on their industry. Check, check, check. Great. Um, you're, they're going to, you know, some people are just going to, you know, listen to you and go, thank you, uh, for helping me out and sharing this information. But some of them are going to, that seems like a great, you know, opportunity. Contrast that with me. If I go on Mixergy, I serve in leg up health, Utah residents. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> it's not that helpful for like 500 Californians to sign up for leg up health today. I don't want right. to be on product hunt. I don't want to be. That makes my, a lot of sense. But it so, might be five years from now. That might not be true totally. when you're in more states. Yeah, I feel like you're in that situation where you have these um, uh, filters set up where it's kind of like, you know, when you when you get done with pasta, you pour it in the strainer and you don't really worry about where the water is going, but just pour the water in. You're, you're at that mm-hmm. point now with what you've got going on where it's like, I just need more water coming through this thing. I don't really care, you know, how specific the water is. Um, as long as it's flowing and, and we're going to catch, we're going to catch what, what we need to catch. Whereas like I have at, at the early days at leg up health, I'm like, I don't have time to be distracted explaining what leg up health is to 500 people who cannot become clients. Right. And I, I'm fine getting, getting in someone's head and being like, okay, two, two years from now, maybe you'll sign up. Whereas I, I'm sure you'd love that, but you also need to get cl- customers right now. You need to get the people who are ready to buy right now. Totally. And I, I want to just highlight the cost of someone who's interested for, in leg up health for me, who's not in Utah is extremely high. The cost of someone who's interested mm. in California to you is not a cost. It's an opportunity. Yeah. So there's okay. actually, there's actually like this huge, like distraction multiplier on, when you, when you aren't universally available um, at the stage that you are at. Cool. All right. Yeah. I appreciate talking through that. So now my hack I'll- for a podcast real quick for my, my hack for podcast promotion um, that I'm thinking about locally is who are the Utah podcasts? Right. So what, what are, what are what, where, if I look at my like check, 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 it's Utah, um, probably entrepreneurial focused so that it hits start to last um, and something related to so, some audience who's, who is focused on uh, either doing their own self, self-employment thing yeah. or freelancer, freelancing, that type of thing. That yeah. kind of thing. Yep. That makes sense. Um, one other update before we kind of move on here. Uh, so last week I had a topic that we didn't have time to get to, and it was Zoho just launched a brand new CRM that's like more of a direct competitor with less annoying CRM. And I was going to talk about like, is this something we should be worried about? Or I don't know. Can you remind um, me what Zoho is? Zoho is a pretty major CRM player. They're, the best way I can describe it is if you want Salesforce, but you want it for really cheap, go with Zoho. So they're not really a direct competitor. They're, they're, they're competing with us price-wise, but they're a pretty complex, like lots of automation and enterprise tools. They're not really going after the the simple crowd, but they launched, as far as I can tell, it's a new CRM with the same backend as their main CRM, but like the front end is basically a clone of Pipedrive and Pipedrive's a more direct competitor of ours. So I was going to bring this and, and just be like, you know, I don't normally worry about competition, but I just figured I'd mention there's a new competitor. And then in the... Uh, week in between, we looked into it a little more. It launched last April. 
And we had never heard about it until right now. And I only wanted to mention this because like, it's really easy to get caught up in competition. And this was one where when I saw it, I was like, normally I don't worry about competition, but this looks, it's like really competitive on price. And then the fact that like, if in April when it came out, we had had that reaction and done anything about it, it would have been a huge mistake because obviously it's just had no impact on anything since then. And how did you hear about it? A customer, uh, I don't know if they were switching from it or switching to it, but one of our CRM coaches was like, just posted in Slack, hey, has anyone heard, like, there's a new player on the, uh, you know, in the CRM market, has anyone heard of this? And so I looked into it. Um, and he freaked out, but it wasn't anything to freak out about, which happens all the yeah, time. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I would say I, I, maybe freak out is a little strong, but I, I took it seriously, thinking this is new, is this going to disrupt the industry? And then it uh, turns out it has already failed to disrupt the industry. <laughs> are, you, are you saying that you shouldn't have reacted the way you did? Or are you, are you saying you a- reacted probably the right way and quickly didn't waste any more time on this? Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm just using it as an example to say anyone who's building something and you see a competitor, I'm not saying you should ignore it. You should be aware that it's there. But also, like this is just an example of how if I had overreacted, it would have been a mistake and just keep doing what you're doing, basically. What is the right reaction to com- 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 competition? Like, when what would, what would have... What would Zoho need to be doing for it to be a bigger deal for you? Every time I see a new CRM, the approach I take, I'm not saying this is necessarily right, but the approach I take is, can we learn something from them? Like, imagine they have a good product manager or whatever. They went and interviewed customers and found some kind of unique pain point, And like, they have an insight that we lack. Let's go figure out what their insight is. Um, and then decide, and in, in most cases, I think that insight's not going to matter to you. It's going to be like, okay, they're going after a different segment, or I just don't think it'll work. Like a lot of CRMs these days are going after artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I look at them, I'm just like, this is not going to work for small businesses. Like, I'm not worried about it at all. But I think it's at least looking, it's worth looking at it and saying, can I learn something from from what they think the world's going to look like? It's, it's interesting not to look at competition as sort of a threat, but more as a, hey, an opportunity for unique insight. Yeah. Um, New unique insights. Yeah. Right. So mm. just a little anecdote there. <laughs> I like it. Uh, what's this thing you've got about Buffer? Buffer. I want to talk about your extra vacation. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about this. Like, you know, I don't, I feel like you. It's not time sensitive. So I was going to save it because we're, okay. we're running long here, but I, I'll talk about it. It, it shouldn't take long. Um, so I think most people in America think that, uh, Probably life will get somewhat back to normal in the second half of 2021, but it's not normal yet, like pandemic related. And so we were worried at Less Knowing CRM, we were worried that everyone gets 30 vacation days a year. That's not as quite as high as it sounds because we don't have any built-in holidays. So like if you want to take Christmas off, that counts as a vacation day, but or we're calling them personal days now, sorry. It seems obvious if you think the world will be back to normal in the second half of the year, don't take any personal days in the first half of the year. Like, save them all for when you can really use them. And so I was kind of worried that that would cause us to risk burnout. Um, similarly, I think I just want people to feel comfortable, like, go, like all the things we've been passing up for the last almost year, go do them. So we decided at Less Knowing Serum to give an extra 10 vacation days to everybody, but they have to be used before July, basically. I'm kind of simplifying the system, but something like that. It sounds like you're forcing people to take up to to take advantage of a temporary vacation policy in the first half of the year next year. So you're basically saying go take 10 extra days off in the first half of the year. Yes, because if we don't, so there's, they're going to take the 30 days in the second half of the year, what, no matter what we do. So this is just like, you can do that. That's fine. A pandemic's ending, but 
don't don't burn out in the meantime. That's great. Do you I'm curious, I don't know. I just I don't know. I don't have a question here, but just like any other thoughts on how to approach something like this? And what what's the problem you're trying to solve? The problem is, well, it's two two problems. I don't want people to burn out by saving vacation days. And two, I want people to like really be able to go live life for a while when the pandemic's over. So it seems like num- number two doesn't need to be solved today. So right. the second problem is when, when people, when the pandemic's over, you can solve that problem. So I would not worry about that one. In other That's words, fair. like wait till the pandemic ends and then you can put a new policy in place to, to solve that problem. The first problem is you don't want people to burn out right now, which means you got to figure out a way for them to go take vacation, but that's really hard for them to do because there's literally nothing fun to do right now if you're following, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> you know, quarantine protocols. So, I guess like one thing, I think one thing that Sable and I are struggling with right now. This is um, like, for example, we every Friday night we try to do a date night, and I am in charge of playing the date night. This is a personal problem that I'm having on a much smaller scale, but it might relate to a vacation. Mm-hmm. I'm having a really hard time finding good date night ideas right now. Like what, what should I go do tomorrow night with my wife that will, you know, that will be fun, you know, rejuvenating, uh, distract us from our, you know, the day to day. Very difficult. If, if you could come up, make it easy, come up with ideas for people to do vacation, like to take hmm. vacation, to go do and sort of curate, curate those. Um, so, and, and sort of offer, it's almost like offering the experience, um, versus just the day off that could help because I feel like normal vacation coming up with a good thing to go do right now is really hard. And probably 90% of the problem people are facing with, it's not that they don't have time to take off. It's what do you, I don't have anything to go do once I take the time off. That's interesting. It's probably too late in the cycle for this, but if someone had that realization eight months ago, I bet there's a, a temporary business there being like, give me money and I will make you feel a little less like we're in a pandemic. <laughs> Speaking of the run with it podcast you mentioned earlier, I was, I have two business ideas that I've come up with, like thought about since we've had this, uh, this episode. One is, um, taking what you just said for vacation, but applying it to date night. If someone would curate a Friday mm. night date for me, um, locally that gets us out into the community, experiencing new things, that doesn't require me time to plan it, dinner reservation, all that good stuff. I'd pay for that. Have you tried Airbnb experiences? Airbnb experiences. I don't know what that is. So like when you get an Airbnb now, they're like, okay, you've got the Airbnb. Do you want us to also like, do you want a guided tour of the city? Uh, like it's all these other like kind of vendors. Yeah. Um, you yeah. might, I realize you're not renting an Airbnb, but you can, you don't have to rent an Airbnb to get those. You, you might look there for some, they, they really do have some interesting ideas. It's like random people that are like, you can come in my backyard and I'll cook you dinner or, you know, crap like that. <laughs> it's basically like the Airbnb for experiences. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, cool. I've never done it, but it looks cool if you're like looking for something to do. <laughs> that might be, it feels like something that's not up my alley. I, I generally yeah. don't like to go to random people's places. I, it's not all that. I mean, it might yeah. be like I like in Utah, I'm sure there are people that are like, I know all the like amazing hiking spots. Like I'll take you to the, the best like view of Salt Lake City or something like that. I'd rather them just tell me what to go do. I don't want them to... <laughs> I don't want to be with that person. <laughs> yeah, that's and maybe I've never done it. Maybe that's how it is. I don't know. Okay, okay. I'll check it out though. Um, cool. The second business idea, though, and this is this is one maybe I should say for run run with it. But um, 
why you're not a gym person, but, um, I just moved to, to a new city. And so some people go to church, they meet other people at church. Some people go to the local bars and meet people at the pub. I'm a gym rat. So I go to the gym and I usually meet people playing pickup basketball with quarantine. That's really hard. Um, and it is hard in general just to break into a new community. I was trying to find like, I want I'm trying to find pickup basketball right now. Like we have a gym at our gym, but a basketball gym, but there's no, where do I go to meet people to like say, Hey, let's meet here at 6 PM and play five on five. There's no app for that. Yeah. Why, why isn't there an app for that? It's funny you say, I was thinking about something very similar to this earlier today. You should go and run with it with this idea. I think there's two trends that support what you're saying. One, religion is dying, for lack of a better word. Like, like new gen- younger generations are less and less religious. And w- regardless of what you think about religion, it was a community, it was a way to meet people and find community. Like, you know. And then the other one is, with more and more companies going remote, that's another way, especially young adults who just graduated college, that's the way they, they move to a new city and make their, their social group and stuff like that. I think there's a big opportunity for a business to effectively do what college does, right? For, strip the education part out of college, but just be like, we've got dorms, we've got a food hall, we've got groups you can join, all that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like what Facebook doesn't do a good job. Facebook is great for, meet, for staying in touch with people you've already met. Mm-hmm. And then Tinder is great for meeting someone of the opposite sex or same sex, whatever your preference is, however that is configured, someone that you want to date romantically uh, and, and go out with. But there isn't this plutonic curation out there. Yeah, there's meetup.com is the closest thing I can think of, but I bet there's an opportunity to do a much more like high touch rather than here's this open community where people like it, it's effectively a bulletin board is what meetup.com is. Instead, it's like pay me 50 bucks a month and I'm going to get you your friends. Like I'm going to I'm going to figure out what you should come to, maybe even have like physical space to host things. I think there's a bit a business there and I hate WeWork, but this was actually something I think they got right about the vision. They abandoned it because they were a basically fraudulent company, but they were saying young adults need community and we're going to it's not just where you work, it's all this other stuff too. 100%. This is what Pando Labs did for Park City. It was people who moved mm-hmm. to Park City. They couldn't, it was very hard for people, them to meet people. We gave them a place to go meet people. This is, the, this is, I think that this is honestly what's powering a lot of the community uh, movement are the trends that you just mentioned. So studying, yeah, that's interesting. This would be an interesting thing to dive deeper into. I guess I just signed myself up potentially for another podcast. Yeah, if have go me. do it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, do you think we have time to talk about your, your buffer topic here? If you don't mind going a little bit over, I think we can sure. do it. Let's so, do it. Uh, so, so I'm reading a book, right? Well, I finished a book called Essentialism. Um, I've talked about it briefly while I was reading it on this podcast before. Notes are going up this weekend um, on my personal newsletter. So if you're interested in the summary of the book, you can check out my website. Um, it's a book about basically focus and uh, trying getting more clear about what is most important right now, focusing your energy on that and moving faster and deeper on that. 250 pages about that concept, um, which is actually pretty enlightening. One of the, um, it's, it's one of those books sort of like the infinite game. When I shared that, uh, that, that book on here that is very related to start to last because it, it, it has these some principles that in, in order to create focus, you kind of have to pretend the world doesn't, you have to kind of like ignore the incentives that are out there um, that make you feel like everything is the most important thing right now. 
uh, everything's got to get done tomorrow. Um, one principle that stood out to me that I wanted to share on here was uh, the concept of buffer. And I think you actually do an amazing job at building this into everything that you do. Um, in the VC world, or at least in the in the world where deadlines are important, um, oftentimes the deadline is pu- like there's, it's always a negotiation, and someone's pushing the deadline shorter in time. You know, you're mm-hmm. trying to push the deadline out in time, but it's a negotiation. There isn't. It, it's never like thoughtfully planned. It's just this debt. The art. It becomes this artificial thing that things get crammed into, and it happens all throughout our lives. But the principle, a principle in essentialism that um, it's called buffer and you know, to an essentialist to, to this guy's point builds buffer into everything they do so that they're never working up against an artificial deadline. Now, some people rely on deadlines for forcing functions to cut curb procrastination. That's a whole other issue that I, I don't want to get into, but in, in, in terms of company building, when you're trying to build a company for the long term, one of the things you want to avoid uh, that I've taken from you, Tyler, as a as in building a culture and a company to last is never putting in yourself in a situation where you're where you're scared and you have to do something out of fear or out of survival um, or out of like last minute like leap of faith. And um, buffer is the, is the way to do that. You build in if you build in buffer into everything that you need to get accomplished, you never put yourself in a situation. You rear, you you reduce the risk that you're in a situation that. Um, requires you to make a, a giant leap or do something spectacular. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you do an awesome job of this um, in a lot of things you do. And it's a concept that I'm going to pay more attention to. Like, for example, um, I'm planning out my year uh, right now and I'm like, okay, what do I, what do I want to get done in the next six weeks? I, normally I would tr- cram six weeks of work in there. It's like, no, what, what, what can I do in four weeks? Let's put that in the six week thing. And all of a sudden it takes all the pressure off. Yeah. Okay, I've got a few uh, things to toy around with here. One is, okay, so you just said plan four weeks instead of planning six weeks. Another version of doing this is plan the six weeks, but just like be zen about the fact that 50% of the time you'll miss your target or something like that. Do you think it matters? Is it just like figure out what works for you? Or is it really like don't even don't even plan that stuff? Can you restate that? Well, you okay, yeah, you said... Plan four weeks and put it into six. So you've got buffer. A different way to kind of take the pressure off yourself is plan six weeks, but then miss your goals all the time. Like less knowing serum, we we do set goals and we just miss every single one of them. Yeah, I guess uh, planning, I should clarify what I mean by that. I mean, uh, have anticipate, it's kind of having a set of things you anticipate getting done, but mm-hmm. knowing, but but setting up that you have, but giving yourself more time than you know you you, you anticipate you will need. Yeah. To finish so that. it's just taking pressure off yourself in whatever way works for you, yes. probably. Yes. This is a lot like uh, Justin Jackson from Transistor has been talking a lot about margin lately. Um, and it sounds like the exact same, just two different words for the same concept. He's been talking about financial margin, right? Like you don't want to be spending every dollar you have because then you're not, you're not tolerant to what if an unexpected expense comes in or something like that. And you're kind of talking more about time margin mm-hmm. in a sense. Does that sound right to you? Oh yeah, this concept. I'm, I'm applying it to time, but you could absolutely apply it to anything. Like anything that's you're trying to make happen within a constraint, create buffer for that constraint, so you don't ever you 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 have room to fix the issue before you bump up against the actual constraint. Whether that's a time constraint, a financial constraint, um, a value constraint, whatever it is. Yeah. Cool. I like it. I just did this accidentally recently. We've got. We've, we're still working with these giant, these two giant companies that uh, 
one in particular that I mentioned a long time ago, and they just always move slower than you think. But they need one thing from us, and we were like, we'll build it in eight months. We think it'll take four months. This is the closest I've ever had to a deadline, though. So, like, but we we gave us a ton, a ton of buffer to to get it done. Hopefully, it's a great example. Yeah, and the 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 reality is, and I think that this is what I really this is where the book's really challenging me is I think everything's going to go as I expect it will, and when I'm the only one who who is depend like is I'm the only thing that is the, the that the the the, the thing that's getting done is dependent on. In other words, when I can control everything, sometimes that works out. It doesn't always because sometimes mm-hmm. things happen, but like take, for example, going to pick up your, like I have to go pick up my truck. Um, it's at the shop shop. I'm going to pick it up after this podcast. I can't control what the traffic's going to be things. Like I expect it to take 10 minutes, but the reality is not some percentage of the time it's going to take 15 Mm-hmm. Or there's going to be a wreck, or there's going to be something that happens unexpected, and all this is is just recogn- is training yourself to recognize that things aren't going to go as you expect them most of the time. There's going to be changes that that you could not predict, and training yourself to build those into your margin, um, mm-hmm. time margin, financial margin is such a good is is really good start to last principle. I suck at it. I am really bad at it. I need help doing it. I think that that last example is the best one to practice because we all like punctuality. We all deal with this every single day. And yeah, there's a type of person who says, I'm going to be there three minutes early. So when I'm late, I'm on time. And there's a type of, and yeah, you, you, you're on time half the time (laughs) and you're, you're late half the time. Um, I, do you think this is like something you practice? Like, do you think it's a it's a muscle that you need to exercise, and maybe- I think it's a habit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, I and mean, I think it's a it's a it's a value. I mean, it's really just, a, and it's, yeah, I think it's it's how you view, it's how you calculate things. It's just like, is do you see this as a tr- do you see reality or do you not? And I think this is an example <laughs> of where I don't see reality. Yeah the 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 consequence of that though is like the. So I think I'm, I, like you say, at least with the punctuality side, I think I'm I'm normally a little bit early and then sitting there. I'm not getting anything done 15 minutes before we start recording this podcast, whereas I think you are. <laughs> so there's there are trade-offs here. Like you're squeezing as much in as you can, and I'm sitting here like, well, I'm ar- my, mentally I'm already in podcast mode, and I'm just going to sit here and wait for Rick. <laughs> Over the long term, though, you win, and that is the point of a startup to last company, because what you're doing is sustainable. And I, mm. I, and I think that that is, that's why it is a startup to last principle. Interesting. I buy that. Do we have a list of these somewhere? <laughs> so one of the things, um, I, I came, I, from my newsletter last week, I put together 10 topics that I want to focus on in 2020, uh, one for com. One of those is startup to last. How do you want to track these? I was thinking that I, I'm, I'm going to, one of the things I want to do is just do a better job of documenting them. I mm-hmm. can put a, I can put them on, um, I'll probably just start writing articles about things that we talk about like this, but um, one w- we could probably just keep a track of a Google Doc internally. We've got this Notion document where we put all our topics. You want to just put it at the bottom of that? Let's just start dragging them over. That'd be great. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Well, listeners probably don't need to hear all the details of that, but uh, maybe over time we'll we'll make a list. Listeners, if we've said anything that you think is like belongs on this list, let us know. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to cover today, Tyler? No. How about you sign us off? All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have a favor to ask. Please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. 
If you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.